Hey folks, welcome to the Great Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Calvin Smith, and this is where we discuss five big topics, the gospel, relevance, evangelism, apologetics, and training for Christians, all in relation to the truth of God's word in Genesis as the seedbed of all Christian doctrines. Now, what we're gonna be talking about today is the death spiral of not dealing with Genesis in your church or your personal life here. Let me tell you a story uh, just, just to start unpacking this. A few years ago now, I had one of the most disturbing conversations regarding church planning that I'd ever had with a supporter of the Answers in Genesis ministry. So just for the sake of anonymity, let's call him Bob here, okay? We'd been discussing the need for our churches to help train our youth in apologetics, especially in the areas dealing with Genesis chapters 1 to 11, of course, the most attacked book and areas of the Bible, when Bob mentioned a recent interaction that he'd had with a local pastor. Now, Bob designs buildings as a profession, and he'd been contracted to put together drawings for a new church. And while discussing the details of some of the rooms outlined in it with the pastor of the new build, Bob noticed something peculiar with the areas devoted to the congregation's children. Bob said that the area devoted to kids, kids ministry, was fairly large with plenty of room to facilitate the numbers projected out of the size of the sanctuary being built. Now, the junior youth area was smaller, but still sufficient. But he said the senior youth room had only a very small footprint dedicated for them. And when Bob inquired as to why this was being built this way, the pastor just turned to him and said, matter of factly, well, by that age, there just aren't that many left. And understand that the pastor wasn't talking about young adults that might be moving away or off to university of college. He was talking about the senior youth group older teens still living at home within the community that had decided they just weren't going to church anymore. Now, Bob's reiteration of that conversation, it, it was like a gut punch. And, and, you know, he confessed that it had left him feeling pretty, pretty sick too, uh, sick to his stomach at, at, at the time that it had happened. I mean, the pastor was making an honest and yet frightening admission regarding not only the state of the youth followed within his home church and the denomination, but as to the decay of the whole Christian church in Canada as a whole. And it was being discussed in such a practical manner. I mean, the floor plans of a church, it wasn't contested. It was simply being accepted as a harsh reality. And yet there didn't seem to be any planning in terms of what might be done to turn that harsh reality around. I mean, why not do some kind of diagnostic and find out what the root cause of the drop-off in church youth attendance was rather than just live with it? You know, in reality, the diagnostic work has already been done and the data's in. Various church organization studies from a wide variety of denominations, independent investigations by broad groups of secular and religious analytic organizations, such as the Barna Group, as well as the Beamer Report, which was commissioned by Answers in Genesis, has shown that young people from Christian homes declare, in their own words, that they abandon the Christian faith for two main reasons. One, what they feel is hypocrisy in the church, and two, because the, they think the Bible isn't trustworthy, particularly because science has disproven the plain reading of Scripture, especially the particulars of Genesis 1 to 11. And by the way, it should be noticed that the hypocrisy aspect, although it you know, may deal with a wide variety of different, uh, different Christian behavior that really doesn't comport with Christ's teachings, 
But it also includes believers that insist that the Bible's moral teachings, all of which doctrines are grounded in the first 11 chapters of Genesis as real history, should be adhered to, while at the same time proclaiming Genesis 1 to 11 does not need to be taken as plainly written in one fashion or another. So, can pastors and church leaders really say they aren't aware of what's happening to our youth when the information is so readily available to them? Why then is there nothing being done for the most part? For most Christian leaders, it's because they themselves are compromised in the areas of Genesis creation versus the story of evolution, which is so vigorously promoted. I mean, oftentimes the Bible colleges and seminaries that they were trained in supported some form of evolutionary long age interpretation of the creation account. And so they've settled with one of the various non-biblical positions regarding Genesis, such as the gap theory or the day age theory or progressive creation or even full blown theistic evolution now, now termed uh, evolutionary creation by some likely to lessen the you know, it's perceived obeisance to materialistic naturalism somewhat, uh, you know, still claiming to believe in creation of, of a sort. But having done so, they've made themselves incredibly vulnerable to the most common of Bible skeptics questions used against Christians, long uh, age believers such as, uh, against long age believers such as, why would a loving God have used billions of years of death and struggle to create and call it very good, all before Adam sinned? I mean, the implication of which is, is obvious. Do you Christians believe that Jesus created a world full of mayhem and bloodletting, supposedly uh, the, the wages of sin, all before the crime sin had been committed? I mean, what a nice, nice guy your Messiah is. And of course, if they, if they can't fulfill 1 Peter 3.15 and give a ready defense for, of the Bible, can they equip their congregation's youth to give a cogent biblical answer as well? The second reason is that many, even if they're open to the idea of supporting a plain reading of Genesis 1 to 11, are often trapped in a, a, a cyclical reasoning process as follows, okay? One, we must deal with youth fallout. Two, to do so, we have to answer secularist questions assaulting major doctrines such as traditional marriage, human identity issues, sanctity of life, authority of scripture, the need of a savior, etc. Three, the defense of all Christian doctrines are rooted in a plain reading of Genesis 1 to 11. Four, Genesis is too controversial, so we'll ignore it, which leads to five, back to square one, and you just rinse and repeat. Even many pastors that believe in a literal understanding of the Genesis account are often paralyzed into non-action because of the pressures that they face within their own church, particularly their church leadership. And a perfect example of this occurred when we first launched the Answers in Genesis Canada ministry here five years ago. I just met with a pastor uh, with a large congregation to discuss having an Answers in Genesis conference at his church. And he was a biblical creationist, fully supportive of what Answers in Genesis teaches. He was excited to put something together. He told me he had a, a large budget set aside for a multi-day conference and would be interested in having some of the, the Answers in Genesis US speakers come up as well. I mean. What a great opportunity to equip a large number of believers and get resources into their hands. You know, it, it, it all seemed like it was full speed ahead until I followed up with him a week later after he had had a discussion with his church board members. 
Now, I could tell immediately when he picked up the phone that all of the previous enthusiasm he'd displayed had been sucked out of him somehow. And he now announced, well, he didn't think he would go ahead with our conference. He explained that one of his board members was a theistic evolutionist that had protested vigorously about having answers in Genesis in, which caused division with the other members as well. So he told me he decided to go in a different direction with his conference. Um, he was going to deal with the gender issue because that was, the, that was the, the hot topic of the day. Now, when I asked him how his theistic evolution supporting board member was going to feel when I you know, I pointed out that the only way to defend a biblical understanding of gender was to quote Genesis the same way that Jesus did, as plainly written, God created male and female. We read that in Matthew 19, 4 and 5. He grew impatient, said there was, you know, something to the effect that it was, it was just kind of complicated and, and he hung up. By the way, I, I don't recall them ever having a conference dealing with gender either. Probably the earliest encounter with a church leader in Canada regarding the lethargy in, in many churches in helping fortify the faith of youth and one that kind of lit my enthusiasm for speaking about creation apologetics more than any other took place over 20 years ago now. Having be begun to work with uh, the youth in my own home church and being aware of the numbers regarding youth follow it occurring across the board denominationally, um, yet having seen the effectiveness in teaching apologetics to youth, I decided to arrange a meeting with the overseer of youth pastors within this particular denominational group. And as I raised my concerns during our conversation or discussion, he, he seemed well aware of the situation regarding fallout of youth from churches and nodded in agreement when I quoted statistics from George Barna, you know, stating that on average, 70% of young people from Christian homes that attend state-run schools abandon the faith by age 18. And after hearing me quote this, he leaned towards me and he said, Cal, actually in our denomination, it's more like 90% right now. Now, assuming that, he, you know, he was armed with this knowledge and been in this senior position in one of the largest denominations in Canada, overseeing several other pastors who were responsible for the future of the church, that he would be implementing a solution. I said, so what's the plan? But rather than saying anything he leaned back just shrugged his shoulders palms up with a well i have no idea look on his face and my heart just sank you know christian leaders need to make wise decisions quickly ask anyone trained in the military and they're going to tell you leaders have a duty to be decisive why because it can mean the difference between life and death to those that they are leading and because of the seriousness of the situations these commanders are placed in, military leadership is often referred to as a crucible for decision-making training. Indecisive leaders can damage those they are responsible through procrastination because inaction on their part is often multiplied through the inaction of those being led. I mean, imagine the CEO of a large company. Okay. made up of, let's say, 365 employees that take 10 days longer to make a decision as to how to mobilize his people than he should have. The result would be a full year or more of wasted time. I mean, what, what if he took a month or three months or a year longer than he should have multiplied through his people? 
This concept is critical in any situation from a frenzied firefight to a hostile takeover where there's com- you know, competing uh, adversaries involved and your ability to, re- to respond and initiate more rapid countermeasures than your opponent could lead to a major advantage, which is exactly why military leaders are trained to react decisively without procrastination. Pastors, Christian leaders, you've been called to lead God's army. You've been tasked with a mission and and are entrusted to care and shepherd those under your care, especially the most vulnerable. I mean, we've received the intel. We know what the enemy's plans are and where the main assault on the sovereign ground that you've been commissioned to defend has been aimed, and that's the foundation of the authority of the Word of God, Genesis. And you might feel inadequate and you might feel ill-prepared or without sufficient influence or commandability. But regardless, we should all do our duty to the best of our ability and serve our King, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, with every bit of courage that we can muster. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Psalm 95 verse 3. Don't worry about the approval of man. Exhort the word of God. The next generation of the church are in peril and we can't afford another wasted minute doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Doing so is simply planning to fail. As always, if you're appreciating this concept, content, please visit theanswersingenesis.ca website. Consider donating to the ministry and whatever platform you're accessing this on. It most likely has some kind of combination of features that allows you to subscribe or like or share and do a review. And we'd appreciate you doing so because it's probably the number one thing that you can do to help us to continue to do outreach. So until next time, I'm Cal Smith. Blessings to you and yours. Mm-hmm.